they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, November the 11th, 2022. It is, uh, we used to call it Armistice Day. It's now called Veterans Day. And we pray for all of our veterans and um, thank God for them and ask God to bless them in, in their lives and for protecting our country. And we pray for our country and for the conversion of our nation. And so uh, we want to begin with a prayer. We want to recall the presence of God. Remember that God is God and we are not. We want to open up Holy Scriptures and see if it speaks to us in our day and what it might be saying about certain issues that we're having. So, Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus, Deus Sabaoth, Pleni sunt celia terra, Gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that in the same spirit we may be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, we have a, a, an idea in our world that strength, you know, might makes right, and that strength is... We have to come from a place of strength. And as Christians, is this what we're looking for? Are we supposed to be strong? Are we supposed to be um, self-reliant? Are we um, you know, supposed to be able to, I can do anything, I can withstand anything? What is supposed to be our attitude? Well, today I want to talk about something that St. Paul wrote. He wrote, when I am weak, then I am strong. What was Paul talking about? And I want to focus this actually in regards to the priesthood. And, you know, we look at our priests and we think, well, they should be saints and they should be carrying us on their shoulders and they should be perfect and they shouldn't ever sin. And, and, and it's true. None of us, by the way, should ever sin. We're supposed to be living in God's grace. We're supposed to be living in union with God. That's what we're called to. By baptism, we're called to live in union with God. We're not made for mediocrity. We're made for union with God. We're made for greatness. We're made to be images and likeness of God, living images and likeness of Jesus Christ here on this earth, walking about so that others look at us and they see Christ. Remember the early Christians? What did people say about them? See those Christians, how they love one another. So we want to look at this St. Paul. And now who, you know, of course, most of us, I think, know Saul, Paul of Tarsus. And he wasn't, Jesus didn't change his name. His name was Saul, his Jewish name, but he was a Roman citizen and he had a Roman name and that was Paul. And so he became known as St. Paul. And he was a remarkable and unexpected apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, remember St. Paul even writes in his own writings, I am an apostle, but as one abnormally born. (laughs) So why? Well, He's an apostle, but the other apostles all knew Jesus while he was walking on this earth. They ate and drank in his company. He taught them for three years, and that was part of the requirement. As a matter of fact, when Judas betrayed our Lord and and gave up his bishopric, um, the office was given to another. But in order for that person to take the office, the, the decision was made by lots, but the two men chosen had both been with them from the time that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. So for the three years that Jesus had lived with his apostles and trained them, that person had had to have been a disciple and seen Jesus's miracles and his, and, and um, heard his teachings. So, and Matthias, of course, was chosen by Lot. That was God's choice. So then Paul doesn't see Jesus until the ascension. You remember the story of Paul, right? Paul was the one who was going to Damascus to arrest all of those who were Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. And what happens? You know, he, he, he had been complicit in the death of Stephen. Remember, they stoned Stephen to death in Acts of the Apostles, Acts 9. And no, it's not Acts 9. It was before, it's before that because it was before Paul goes to Damascus. 
So it must have been Acts 7. Stephen was, Stephen was being stoned in Acts 7, I believe it is. And then, so Paul is going to Damascus. He's got letters from the, and he stood there. He stood there and he approved of, um, he, he approved of the killing of Stephen. They all piled their cloaks at the foot of a young man named Saul. And uh, Saul was, you know, he, he, he kept the law. And he has a lot to say about that and how faithfully he kept the law in terms of the old law. And so, yeah, St. Saint, Saint Stephen was, was martyred in um, Acts 7, and then you have Acts 8. Saul is persecuting the church, and then you have Acts 9, where Saul is going to Damascus. And he's on his way to Damascus to arrest anyone who's following the new way, right? And on his way to Damascus, suddenly there is a flash of light, and Saul falls to the ground, and he hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Acts 9, 4. And what does Saul reply? Who are you, sir? And the Lord answered him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard to kick against the goad. Now, it is hard to kick against the goad is in Acts 26, 14, where Saul is recounting the incident on the road to Damascus. It's not in Acts 9. It's in Acts 26, 14. But Jesus is telling him, Saul, you're kicking hard against the goat. You're kicking, you're, resi- you're resisting me. You're resisting the Lord. <laughs> so by persecuting the Christians. And Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? And this is, you know, part of where Saul gets his theology of the body of Christ. That whatever, and he, he got that, you know, Jesus said that whatever you do the least to my brothers, you do to me. And Jesus makes it real and personal for, for Saul, Paul, when he tells him, why are you persecuting? When he asks him, why are you persecuting me? Well, wait a minute, Lord, I'm not persecuting. I'm persecuting people who claim to follow you. What, what are you talking about? No, when you persecute the Christians, when you persecute those who follow me, you're persecuting me. Whatever you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. So, you know, there is Saul on the ground, and by now he's blind. He can't see. And he says, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And Jesus tells him to go into Damascus, and there he will be told what to do, Acts 9, 6. So what happens? Saul is blind for three days, and he's praying. He's praying, and he doesn't eat anything, and he doesn't. He knows how to pray. Saul knows the Psalms. He's a man of God. He thought that he was doing the work of God by killing Christians. And he says he persecuted Christians to the point of death. So, And he thought he was doing God's work. And so... He prays for three days, three days, like Christ in the tomb for three days. And, and then Jesus appeared to his disciple Ananias, and he tells Ananias to go to, to Straight Street and to find Saul of Tarsus and to baptize him. Now, of course, Ananias, don't we all, we do this, Lord, wait a minute, I know this man. You know, he came here with letters to arrest us all. What, what, don't you know who this guy is? <laughs> it's like... Jesus assures Ananias, it's okay. It's okay. You know, I, I, you're going to go baptize him, right? And so the persecutor becomes a Christian. And Jesus had to assure Ananias, go for this man is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites, and I will show him what he will have to suffer for my name, Acts 9, 15 through 16. So Jesus shows Saul what he's going to have to suffer for following Christ, for bearing the name of Christ, and for preaching to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. So Paul is baptized, and you know, Paul never took it for granted that somehow he deserved or had earned this position of becoming an apostle of our Lord. He's always stunned by it. What does he write? I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. But what does he glory in? When he went to Athens, he tried to preach the resurrection 
and the, they laugh at him. Athens, the Athens was, they, first of all, the Athenians were very scrupulous, so they had a, a shrine to an unknown god. And Paul says, well, I came to preach to you about this unknown god. And they're, they're listening to him, and they're tolerating him. And then he talks about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and all of a sudden they'll start laughing and snickering. And they're, oh, <laughs> let's hear you on this another time, you know. It's like, we're done with you. Well, the resurrection of the dead, what are you talking about? They have no, no, no time for him now. So after that, Paul glories in what? He said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world, he writes in Galatians 6.14. Divine grace is everything to him. It's not that he earned a position as an apostle. It's not that he won God's favor somehow by what he did. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace in me has not been void. But I have labored more abundantly than all they Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. 1 Corinthians 15.10 This is Bible with the Barbers on Friday, November the 11th. And we'll be back with more. Thank you for listening. Please share this with your family and friends. Let them know that there's a Catholic Bible study. And you can listen for free. Join us on our app or on our website. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio on this Friday, November the 11th, 2022 for Bible with the Barbers. And we're talking about when I am weak, I am strong. Seems like an oxymoron, I guess they would say. Well, this is the, the, um, the oxymoron of Christianity. In terms of, yes, in weakness there is strength, but what weakness and what strength? So we're talking about, in particular, the apostle Saul of Tarsus, Paul, St. Paul, who was chosen by Christ even though he had persecuted the church to the point of death. He said to the point of death. So, And we talked about the weakness. Paul claims to follow Christ. He talks. He says, I, I have... I have resolved to speak of nothing but Christ and him crucified and that everything is a grace to him, a grace from everything is gift. What is grace? Free gift, free gift from God. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's God's mercy towards me. So among all the characteristics that endear us to St. Paul, of course, is, is this, that his out, not his outstanding heroism, but his weakness. He himself confesses, a thorn in the flesh was given to me an angel of Satan to beat me, to keep me from becoming too elated. Three times I begged the Lord to take this, that it might leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. I will rather boast most gladly of my weakness in order that the power of Christ may prevail with me, may dwell with me, Therefore, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints for the sake of Christ, for I am weak. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's 2 Corinthians 12, 6a, and 7b to 10. Paul glories in his weakness. He glories in this constant buffeting, being persecuted, being insulted, having hardships, being weak, struggling, not being able to gain full dominion over himself. All of these things, and they become his glory. Not because he sets out to live a life of debauchery and sin and say, well, I'm weak, I may as well give in and enjoy the sin. No, that's not what he's talking about. He resists sin. He res and he tells us to resist sin. And he said, remember, in your fight against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, which Paul would do. He would resist the temptation of denouncing Christ to the point of shedding his blood. 
But in our weakness, it's in our weakness that Christ comes to us and then he becomes our strength. If we rely on the Lord, everything is a grace, everything is a gift, and the cross is our glory because the cross was the glory of Christ. It is his victory. What? How can the cross be the victory? This is where people least expected to find victory was in the cross. And yet this is what Christ did. So this is what Paul does. He imitates Christ, even to the point of suffering. And yes, I will willingly suffer in union with Jesus Christ because in my sufferings, then Christ's strength is brought forth and everyone knows that I'm just a weak earthen vessel that's broken and, you know, like cracked cisterns that can't hold water. But Christ, the grace of God in me can do powerful things. And so Paul's weakness is not something incidental or secondary, okay? It lies at the heart of the history of salvation. God chose the weak of the world to shame the strong, 1 Corinthians 1.27. Indeed, God chose the path of weakness for himself as the path of redemption. In the incarnation, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, the slave, right? The least and the weakest, the slave. Coming in human likeness and found human in appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Philippians 2, 1 and 2 and 5 and 8. And remember, when we say, when Paul writes human in appearance, he doesn't just mean, oh, he just appeared to be human. That's not the, you know, the Gnostic idea that he wasn't really human. He was just God and he had a human form. But, you know, tr- no. He was really human. He really took to himself a human nature. Weakness. Human nature fell at at the original sin. And so that man became inclined to sin and he was turned away from God. And so God becomes man and takes to himself a human nature, this very nature, but without sin. He becomes like us in all things but sin. Why? In order to free us from the power of sin and death. And he does it through the cross. Through the one thing that you'd think, wait a minute, that, that's, that's defeat. That's, that's not power. That's not strength. But for our salvation, Christ set aside his divine power. He chose to embrace our weakness. He looks like a man. And he doesn't even use or utilize the full strength of his divinity while he's here on this earth. He hides it under his humanity so that people aren't frightened and running away from him. And he goes so far as to hide it to the point that when they want to crucify him, he allows himself to be crucified by the very sinners he came to save. So human weakness is not only humankind's, mankind's trademark, but also the trademark of the tr- entire economy of salvation. It follows that weakness is, yes, a trademark of the priesthood, but also of the hierarchy of the holy angels. What? How did the angels come in here? We're talking about the priesthood and Paul and weakness. And yet, what is the place of the angels? We have to remember something. God created a particular order. And the angels aren't separated from us in this order. And St. Paul will go on. He says, who is weak that I am not weak? Who is led into sin that I am not indignant? Do, are we indignant at the sign? And when we see others sinning, we should be indignant. And if we see the injustice of people being forced to sin, we should really be indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Second Corinthians eleven twenty nine. If Jesus had not prayed for Peter and for the apostles, none of them could have remained standing. For man, salvation is impossible. Remember what Jesus said in the gospel. But for God's grace, remember Matthew 19, 26. For man, it's impossible. Who can be saved then, Lord? For man, it is impossible. But for God, nothing is impossible. He gives us his grace. We want to stand alongside Christ in prayer for priests. Only when we stand together in faithful prayer and sacrifice shall the priesthood stand firm and flourish in the church. 
You know, oftentimes we like to ask, what's wrong? Why don't our bishops do this? Why doesn't our priests do this? Why do the priests have so many liturgical abuses going on? The problems that people like to say is all Vatican II. Well, no, you know, actually it wasn't all Vatican II. As a matter of fact, there was a diocese in the United States of America. It was called Lincoln, Nebraska. And after the Second Vatican Council, they never had a, a vocation crisis. They never had a leaving of the church. Their church didn't empty. They never had a financial crisis. They, their churches were full. They had vocations. And Bishop Flavin, well, he was the bishop. And what did he do? He implemented Vatican II. But he didn't allow heresy to be preached in his diocese. He didn't allow women in the sanctuary. And he made a distinction between the, the priesthood of the faithful and the priesthood of the, the ordained priest, the ministers. And he made it clear. And his people knew it. As a matter of fact, the bishops were all wondering, well, what are you doing, Bishop Flavin? What, what is this? And so they went to study. They did a study in his diocese, and they came back, and they were like, oh, well, you know, he's so pre-Vatican II. No, he had adapted the mass of Vatican II. But it hadn't caused the havoc. It had caused other words because he didn't allow the heresies, he didn't allow the spirit of the council to invade his diocese. He allowed the council to be implemented as it was supposed to be implemented. And so, yeah, when we stand by our priests, when we pray for them, when we are faithful, how can we have a faithful priesthood? How can we have a holy priesthood when all people want to do is watch TV and have a comfortable life? We need to pray and sacrifice for our priests. I remember talking to people years ago about that and saying, you know, have holy hours for your priests. Make, have masses offered for your priests. And I remember trying to explain to someone one time, you know, the devil's going to go after the bishops. He's going to try and take the bishops down because then if he takes a bishop down, he gets the whole diocese. If he can take a priest down, he can get a, a, a parish or a good portion of a parish to, to abandon the faith. How many people have left the Catholic Church because of priests who have not been faithful to their vows or priests who haven't preached the faith or bishops who haven't faithfully passed on the sacred deposit of faith, the sacred trust that was given to them by Jesus Christ. A sacred deposit, which it doesn't belong to the church, but was given to the church as a sacred trust. And some of the people in the crowd said to me, well, not the crowd, it was a, a group of people at a home. And they said, well, no, the bishops are the problem. They're the enemy. No, we need to pray for our bishops and sacrifice for them. We're in a war. We're in a war. Yes, a war for our souls. And Paul warned us, St. Paul warned us, we're fighting against powers and principalities. We can't do this. We're human beings. We're fighting against fallen angels. They are far more clever than us. Don't think you can fight this fight on your own. You need Jesus Christ. Our weakness becomes our strength if we rely on Jesus Christ, if we do what Paul tells us. Turn to St. Paul and turn to him and, and, and realize what he's saying here. We need to follow him and ask our Lord to send his angels, the good angels, to fight the bad angels. We can't fight the bad angels. No, God fights them. And, and you know, Goliath and David. David didn't go out, come after Goliath in, in David's own name. He said, I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whom you have blasphemed this day. And Paul warns us, you're fighting against powers and principalities. So what is this? We speak of a hierarchy in the church, right? So we speak of a heavenly hierarchy of the angels. How do they stand together? How are they related to one another? The answer may surprise you, but the clues lie hidden in St. John's book of Revelation. In the fifth chapter, he writes, I, I saw standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb that seemed to have been slain. He had seven horns and seven eyes. These eyes were the seven spirits of God sent out into the whole world. Revelation 5, 5. The seven horns and the seven eyes of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. They symbolize his sevenfold power and knowledge. Behold, he entrusts these to seven spirits. It is to them, to the holy angels, 
that Jesus entrusts a significant share of his mission throughout the book of Revelation to lead and protect the church, indeed to instruct, to cleanse and purify her on her journey to the wedding feast of the Lamb and to eternal glory in the heavenly city. The angels are acting, ministering, and helping everywhere in the book of Revelation. One of them declares to John, I am a fellow servant of yours and your brother who bears witness to Jesus. Revelation 19.9. So what is the great mystery of the book of Revelation? Why are people so afraid of it? Don't go away. We'll be back with more of understanding how the hierarchy of the angels and the hierarchy within the church are related to one another, and it was all set up by God for our salvation. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I appreciate uh, you listening. I appreciate you sharing this with us, uh, with others. Remember to tell your family and friends about Bible with the Barbers and all of Virgin Most Powerful Radio's great programs. And thank you for supporting us. Thank you for the radio stations that pick up our signal. Thank you for all who listen. Thank you for those of you who offer your prayers and your sufferings and your sacrifices for us. We couldn't do this work without your financial and spiritual support. And we couldn't do this work if God hadn't called us. And again, we're not ministering priests in terms of ministerial priests. We are lay people who are carrying on an apostolate in order to further the kingdom of God. And my material today is not something that I wrote. I'm, I'm borrowing here from the crusade for priests from the Opus Sanctorum Angelorum. They have a circular letter that they send out quarterly. And this was the summer circular letter this summer, Opus Sanctorum Angelorum. And Father William Wagner is the one who actually wrote this. So um, I'm using his material because I, this, I think it's important for us to understand. We want to be strong. The world tells us we have to be strong. We have to have, we have, to have it under control. We have to be un, un, have everything under control. We have to be with it. We have to, you know, we're the ones. It's about me. It's about, and, and no, the Bible tells us something different. Jesus shows us weakness. Weakness. He is the son of God and he comes to this earth in weakness as a little baby. And then he ends in weakness, dying the death of a slave on a cross. And he does this to save us. And he wants us to join in this. And he gives us the angels to help us. And I mentioned the book of Revelation before the break. And how a lot of people are afraid of the book of Revelation. And they think it's talking about the end times. And the book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And it doesn't mean it's about the end times per se. It's, it's about liturgy. It's about the liturgical action that takes place in heaven and who are some of the main actors in that liturgy but the angels and what is it that they cry out sanctus 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 dominus deus sabaot holy 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 lord god of hosts we say these these prayers at mass right and so that here you can see that the two are joined the human liturgy the, the priesthood the human priesthood on earth where the priest carries out the liturgical actions that Jesus Christ founded in his church, the holy sacrifice of the mass. Yes, it is a sacrifice because it's Christ's one eternal sacrifice. We don't kill Christ again. We don't believe he's dying again. The risen, ascended, glorified Christ. There's only one high priest, Jesus Christ, and he acts in and through the priest to make present to us in this time and space the eternal liturgy that goes on in heaven where he, the victim who immolated himself, is no longer dying but lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love. He, the Lamb of God who was slain, still bears his scars. And the angels still cry out, Songtus, 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 and we join them. And so the priest, the minister of the liturgy on earth, the human ministers, join the angelic ministers and they carry out their ministries while the priest here on earth is celebrating simultaneously in heaven. The angels are celebrating the divine liturgy, the eternal liturgy in heaven. And, you know, if you look at this, you can see that um, <laughs> in the hierarchies that God set up, this human hierarchy here on this earth, the hierarchy that's in the pilgrim church is the least and the weakest. And this is an insight of Thomas Aquinas from his Patris Cordae, number five. So the pilgrim church on earth is the weakest of the hierarchies. So it's, 
important and urgent for us to pray for our priests. You know, sometimes in good times, this point is missed. You know, things are going great and the church seems to be seeing wonderful and prospering and we might forget to pray for our priests. But times such as ours, the spiritual needs of priests cry out for assistance. If at times God seems not to help us, surely this does not mean that we have been abandoned, but instead are being trusted to plan to be creative and to find solutions ourselves. And again, that's from Thomas Aquinas's Patris Corde, number five. Thomas is pointing out to us that we have to support our priests with our prayers. And he raises the question, okay, whether all the angels belong to a single hierarchy. He begins by defining the term hierarchy. So what is, where does the word hierarchy come from? It comes from a Greek, actually two Greek words, hieros, which means sacred minister, and this would, word, in the Old Testament, it stood especially for the Levitical priesthood, okay? But, and, and that was especially connected with the animal sacrifice in the temple, correct? So, but even before the animal sacrifice in the temple, we have a priest in the Old Testament. Who is that? Melchizedek in Genesis 14, 18. And what does Melchizedek offer? Remember, Abraham brings him a tenth of the booty after Abraham wins his battle. And, and Melchizedek offers bread and wine. Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of peace. So Melchizedek, remember, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 109.4. Christ's priesthood, remember, that was a prophecy of Christ's priesthood. You are a priest forever. Melchizedek appears without beginning of days or end of years. He just appears on the pages of, of the Old Testament. And they don't, we don't, we're not given a genealogy. We're not giving anything about his death. And he offers bread and wine when, when Abraham wins this battle, but he comes to Melchizedek. So Christ's priesthood is therefore a new priesthood. It's not the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was a shadow. It was a precursor. It was just a type. It was pointing to something greater. The cornerstone of the eternal priesthood is Christ's priesthood entirely independent from the Levitical priesthood. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 6 and verse 10, Hebrews 6, 20, and Hebrews 7, 11. It is the keystone of the entire hierarchy of God's creation. Christ's priesthood. He is the high priest. There is only one high priest. It is Christ. So the entire creation, the hierarchy of the entire creation Christ's priesthood is the cornerstone of it. Now, the second word, remember the Greek word hierarchy, where is it? Okay, hieros, meaning priest or minister, sacred minister. Okay, archon, meaning leader or prince. Thomas explains hierarchy means a sick as sacred principality. Principality simply means a state or a kingdom with one head. Principality, one head under whom are organized in an order, ordered, orderly manner all the citizens with special attention being given to the officers in their various ranks. Then Thomas Aquinas draws this conclusion. Therefore, because there is one God, the prince, the archon, the leader, not only of all the angels, but also of all men and all creatures, so there is one hierarchy, not only of all the angels, but also of all rational creatures who can be participators in the sacred things. This is from the Summa Theologia, number one, question 108, article 1C. And what, is, what do we learn from the scriptures? Was Thomas, was he just making this up? No, St. Paul affirms in the letter to the Ephesians that the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4, remember? The Father's plan for the fullness of times was to recapitulate all things in Christ, in the heavens and on the earth, Ephesians 1, 10. Thus, Christ is the head of creation and the church. The Father seated him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every principality, virtue, power, and domination, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Ephesians 1, 20 through 21. 
where did Thomas get the idea of the art of the hierarchy and that we all belong to this and that Christ is the head of all, not just of the creation that we see, not just of mankind, but of the angels. He's the head of us all. Hence the hierarchy of the church, bishops, priests, and deacons, constitutes the lower ministerial ranks in Christ's holy kingdom. We are the lower ranks. While the angel choirs form the upper ranks in heaven, the heavenly ranks in the same divine hierarchy, invisibly above the church on earth, up to the very throne of God, tower the nine choirs of angels in their three subdivisions. There are three subdivisions in the choir. So gathered immediately around God's throne is a ring of perpetual adoration. Those are the seraphim, the cherubim, and the thrones. That's the first, they're the first recipients of God's light and wisdom. Then spread over the vast universe like so many architects and field officers are the dominations, the powers, and the principalities. And then what you have, clustered around our little world, the focal point of all God's love and solicitude, the focal point of all God's love and solicitude, our little world, mankind in creation. And he clusters around us the virtues, the archangels, and the, and the angels, the innumerable angels of the ninth choir. It suffices to recall, are they not all ministering spirits? sent to minister for them who shall receive the inheritance of salvation, Hebrews 1.14. The Catholic Church doesn't make these things up. The Catholic Church gets these things from the sacred deposit of faith, that is, from sacred scripture, from Christ himself, what he did and taught, and from sacred tradition, the tradition he left to his church, particularly in the sacred liturgy. The sacred liturgy of the Catholic Church is a participation in the sacred liturgy that takes place in heaven, which, by the way, is what the book of Revelation is about. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of scary things up there in that book because there's a lot of scary things going on on this earth. It's called sin. Every time we sin, that's scary because every time we sin, we have the possibility of losing God for all eternity, especially if it's a mortal sin. But remember, if you're compromising with venial sin and you're not fighting against venial sin in your life, believe me, you're being set up so that as soon as you're tempted to commit a mortal sin, it's going to be real easy for you to slip into it. We have to fight against all sin. Sin is our enemy. We can hate one thing and one thing only, that which God hates, which is sin. By the way, not the sinner. We pray for the conversion of the sinner. I'm up against the break. That music is coming. We're almost done with this show, and I just there's so much to say. God is so good, and I am borrowing my material today from Father William Wagner. Opus Sanctorum Angelorum, Crusade for Priests, Circular Letters. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, November the 26th. November the 11th. This is the 11th of November, 2022. Uh, Terry's babysitting our grandson, so I'm, I'm doing the show here today, and I have the help of Father William Wagner and St. Thomas Aquinas and the, the scriptures. Obviously, the scriptures, that's what this is, a Bible study, and we want to understand it more fully and what, what is it that God is speaking to us. So we're talking about the hierarchy and how it is that in weakness, it, it's when we are weak that we are strong. And this hierarchy that God set up, of all, the, of all of heaven, the angels, and then of men to serve him, and that how everything, Christ is the head, and, and is the priesthood of Christ that is the cornerstone of, of all the salvific works that God does. Jesus Christ is the high priest. Every priest is ordained to offer sacrifice. So we have, you know, we're talking about this, and we talked about the, you know, in, in Hebrews 1, 14, it says, it's talking of the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent to minister for them who shall receive the inheritance of salvation? So the angels are sent to minister to us. Okay. So, but clearly the weak point in the hierarchy of Christ's kingdom in heaven and on earth is to be sought in the human dimension of the sacred ministers down here upon the earth in the church. What did Paul say about this? Paul says, 
We hold this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing power may be of God, not of us. Second Corinthians 4, 7. So Paul acknowledges that, yeah, we're weak ministers. Paul is a bishop. He's a priest and bishop of the Catholic Church. He's a weak minister, but he holds this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing power may be of God and not of us. And St. Paul also says, pray for me that after having preached to others, I myself may not fall away. So we need to pray for our priests. We need to support them with our prayers. We need to sacrifice for them. And we need to not pretend that we can just live a comfortable life here on this earth and, and you know somehow God's going to get us to heaven. We need to fight for our salvation. And the saints have said, if you don't know you're in a battle for your, for your soul, you're probably losing it. So if you don't know you're in a battle, get engaged Ask with the battle. Ask your angel to, to help you. Ask Michael, Gabriel, and Rachel to help you. Ask your patron saints to help you. St. Mary, Blessed Mother Mary, St. Joseph. Our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and in the, in the Eucharist and the liturgy. And here we have it. In God's paradoxical wisdom, paradoxical, that's what it is, the, 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 the cross, a paradox. How can this be strength? Okay. In God's paradoxical wisdom, though, he has anchored the redemptive and salvific power of Christ's paschal mission in the seven sacraments, appointed the priests and bishops as the sacred ministers on earth, not the angels from heaven. So he has appointed men to be the ministers of his sacraments, to, to be participants in his priesthood. At the same time, Vatican II teaches, in the earthly liturgy, we take part in a foretaste of that heavenly liturgy, which is celebrated in the holy city, Jerusalem, toward which we journey as pilgrims, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, a minister of the holy, a minister of the holies and of the true tabernacle. We sing a hymn to the Lord's glory with all the warriors of the heavenly army. This is from Sacrosanctum Concilium, number eight, the document on the sacred liturgy from Vatican II. Concomitantly, a major part of the angelic ministries are orchestrated around the church's liturgy on earth. So yes, the, the angels are there to help us. For Christ assured Peter, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, Matthew 16, 19. In brief, actual graces, inspirations, the lights of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, infused contemplation, and the graces which dispose us to a worthy reception of the sacrament are largely benefits we receive from the holy angels. We have a guarding angel who's there to inspire us, enlighten us, to give us actual graces, to encourage us to do our part in building the kingdom of God. The, the fruitful preaching ministry of priests is also largely dependent on the hidden enlightening help of the angels. St. Thomas Aquinas, again, goes so far as to say, after ascertaining that the administration of the sacraments pertains to the human ministers in the church, then he goes on to say, what men do in a less perfect manner, even though we're carrying on what Christ established, this is a less perfect manner, i.e. by sensible sacraments, which are proportionate to their nature. Angels do also as ministers of a higher degree in a more perfect manner, invisibly by purifying, enlightening and perfecting. So the angels are there to minister to us. That's what Hebrews said, right? 114 in Hebrews, are they not all ministering spirits? Hebrews 114, they're to minister to us, to bring us light and to purify us and to perfect us. The most effective means of salvation to which we are obliged in conscience consists in living out our membership in the Catholic Church whose sacraments together with the authentic proclamation of the gospel, with the authentic proclamation of the gospel is a superabundant source of salvation. How great this hour is, how fortunate we are to live out our faith fully, to live out our faith fully. And the church is supposed to proclaim the gospel faithfully, not change it. The sacred deposit of faith is a sacred deposit is to be safeguarded and given to every generation faithfully without error. 
Ah, but on the other hand, how challenging. For these mysteries have been entrusted to weak ministers in God's glorious hierarchical kingdom. This was God's idea, not mine. The truth is, we get the priests we have merited through our prayers and sacrifices. Are we praying for priests? Are we striving to live fully our faith? Or have we given into the pleasure culture? I deserve a break today. I can have it my way. I can practice contraceptives in my marriage. I don't have to accept children willingly and lovingly from God. I don't need, even need to get married. I don't even need the church. Are we doing it our way? Are we deciding we're God and we're going to make the laws and we're going to make the moral law and we're going to change the moral law? As some priests have said, oh, I know that, that, that the Bible says that homosexual acts are, are an abomination before God, but I just think the Bible's wrong. Well, excuse me, the Bible is God's holy word. So if we think the Bible's wrong, we're being very prideful and we're acting like our enemy who wants to take us to hell, our enemy, Satan, who wants to take us to hell. We have an enemy, a mortal enemy, and he's an angel of darkness, but he can appear as an angel of light and he can deceive us. We have to pray and we have to pray for our priests. It's interesting. Okay, we need to sacrifice and pray for our priests. In the Vietnam War, the Viet Cong targeted especially the officers and the medics. The logic was impeccable. Take out the leadership and the support and the troops will be scattered and be ineffectual. Such, too, is the logic of the devil. Knowing this, the crusade for priests, and that's what this is from the Opus Sanctorum Angelorum, the crusade for priests, is like a spiritual special forces unit for the spiritual protection and strengthening of priests and consecrated souls. Prayers and sacrifices are our weapons. The holy angels, the air force which controls the skies, is our most willing collaborator. They want to collaborate with us to help us fight this war, to build the kingdom of God on earth, and to fight against our enemy, the devil. In this year, let us entrust all our priests in a special way to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, that she may keep them in her heart, that she may send holy angels to enlighten, protect, and strengthen them in their sacred ministry. Why Mary? Who is the mother of the high priest? Mary is the mother of the high priest. Jesus Christ kept the fourth commandment, and he kept it perfectly. Honor thy father and thy mother. Honor. Kavodah. Bestow glory upon. He bestows glory upon his mother. And that doesn't take anything from the glory of God because she only shares in the glory that God has given her. Woman's own glory. She shares in God's glory. So we need to pray for our priests. What are our action items? The crusade for priests. We try here at Sacred Heart Chapel every Thursday night from 7 to 9 p.m. to have holy hours for priests. And then if, if there's no funerals, and if there's no funeral on Friday afternoon between 12 and 3, we will open up the chapel for people to come and pray again. The Passio Domine, to keep this weekly, to keep company with Jesus in his passion and to pray because it is through his passion that he redeemed us. The Paschal Mystery, which is presented to us in the sacraments, particularly in the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, his entire Paschal Mystery is presented to us mystically. His passion, death, crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension and glorification into heaven. And we participate in the heavenly liturgy, which is what the book of Revelation is about. And we have to pray for our priests, that they will be faithful to their vocations, that they will pray, that they will begin every single day with a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the high priest, whom they are supposed to be a minister, representing. They're supposed to be a living image of him. They're supposed to be bringing souls to Christ. They're not supposed to be telling us that it's okay to live in sin because God understands and, you know, he realized it's, it's kind of hard and we're kind of weak. And you know what? It doesn't bother him. Sin bothers God. He hates sin. He hates it so much so that he died on the cross. The greatest manifestation that there is a hell, because why would Christ have gone through all this suffering if he didn't have something terrible and horrible from which he was trying to save us? It's also the greatest proof of the love of heaven, the greatest manifestation of the love of heaven, because why would he have done all this if he didn't love us? So we pray for our priests. And remember what Paul said, pray for me that after having preached to others, I myself may not fall away. Just because a priest is ordained a minister and, and has this 
unique identification with Jesus Christ, the high priest. It doesn't stop him from sinning. And without prayers and sacrifices, if we don't give up our pleasure culture, if we don't renounce our pleasure culture and start living our faith fully and firmly and faithfully, we will not have a holy priesthood. And without a holy priesthood, how are we going to have the sacraments? Do you see what's happened to us in the last few years? How sparse it is, how much more difficult it is to get to mass, how sparse the sacraments are, how it's hard to get to confession now, how on, you know, holidays, which started before the pandemic, but now on holidays, you only have one mass. Well, wait a minute. A lot of people have to work on holidays. They have the same work schedule. Not everybody's a government employee that gets every holiday off. So then they can't get to mass because the one mass is at 11 a.m. when they're all working. And so, you know, we have to pray for our priests that they really understand. And we have to pray for ourselves that we will really be faithful and, and realize we have a part to play in the building up of the kingdom, but also that we're not alone in this. God gives us the angels. And in addition to the angels, he gives us the saints. Here we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we are told by Paul's letter to the Hebrews. And yes, I do believe Paul is the author to the letter of Hebrews. And I not going to carry on arguments with you know, all the theologians, but from what I've read and studied, it, it seems to me very, you know, <laughs> but anyway, that's another issue. So we have to do that another day. We're talking about the priesthood and the need to pray for our priests and the weakness. Yes, God chooses the weak and makes them strong in serving him. Look at all the saintly priests. Go through, go on the internet and look it up. Priests who are saints. Look them up and look what they've done. Father Capadone and others, men who have given their lives to serve. Uh, there's venerables. Uh, 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 Schwart, the, the priest who founded the World Villages of Children in the Asian Relief Society. So many good holy priests all throughout time, all throughout history of the church. Pray for our priests, sacrifice for our priests, that we can have a holy priesthood, that we can have priests who will lead us faithfully in the ways of Jesus Christ and lead us to the heavenly banquet, the new and eternal Jerusalem, where Jesus Christ is the one eternal high priest. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. And please spread the word about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you all of our supporters, all of those who support us financially, those who support us with their Prayers and their sufferings, which, by the way, are vital to our work. You know, suffering, the weakness. God chooses the weak and makes them strong in serving him. Thank you for tuning in to Bible with the Barbers. Sh please share this with your friends and your family. Let them know that there is a Catholic Bible study out there. And if you can join us on Thursday nights for the Pasio Domine, um, Domino, Pasio Domino, and, and we pray for priests from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, you can check with us ahead of time to make sure there's no funeral at the chapel. You can call 877-526-2151. And then on Friday afternoons, if there's no funeral, there's the chapel's also open from noon to 3 to pray and keep company with our Lord in, in his passion. And we pray for priests at this time. Let us pray for our priests and challenge our priests to live a faithful life. But we have to be faithful to the commandments and to the duties of our state and life so that our priests also can be faithful to their duties of their state and life and to the commandments. Share this with your friends and families. We're on Rumble. We have our own website. We're on Facebook. Uh, we have our app, Virgin Most Powerful Radio app. And I'll let everyone know that there is a Bible study, Catholic, and it's free. And I also do Bible study on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Here at the chapel, Sacred Heart Chapel in downtown Covina, historic Sacred Heart Chapel, 381 West Center Street. God bless you. Join us again next week for Bible with the Barbers.